Well, a classic in-state rivalry picks back up on Friday between the Washington Huskies and the Gonzaga Bulldogs with Drew Timmy finally getting a turn to put his stamp on this rivalry with what I predict will be a dominant performance at the kennel. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates through another season of Gonzaga basketball. And today we are talking Zags, Huskies, Gonzaga, University of Washington, an epic rivalry that for so long was canceled, didn't get played for a very long time after some bad blood between the two programs. The rivalry has been resurrected. They've been playing for a couple of years before, unfortunately, COVID-19 and some various scheduling struggles, excuse me, uh, prevented them from playing for the last couple of years. They are now set to play December 9th, 6 p.m. at the McCarthy Athletic Center. Always good to be at home crowd is going to be popping off against the Huskies. Again, I mentioned it's been the first time these two teams have played for a while. And yeah, they haven't met since December 8th, 2019. So this will be nearly three years to the day, three years and one day since they last played each other. Again, life moves at you fast, especially when COVID-19 kind of impacted the Pac-12's ability to schedule some non-conference games kind of threw things in a wrench. It's surprising to me that Drew Timmy really hasn't had an opportunity to be a part of this rivalry. I think the last really big moment between these two programs was that very epic Rui Hachimura game winner. I believe that would have been in 2018. That was 81-79 victory in that one where Rui hit that 15-foot mid-range jump shot at the buzzer to give the Zags a win. Drew Timmy did play in this matchup in 2019. Uh, the Zags won that one 83-76. to Timmy had four points off the bench. Anton Watson also played uh, just eight minutes in that one, zero points, two assists. This was both when they were true freshmen, Philip Petrusev had 17 and 10 to lead the Zags as the starting center. That's how long it's been since these two teams have played. Jalen Suggs never got to play UW. Chet Holmgren never got to play UW. They were just not players who were around or involved in this rivalry game, unfortunately. But now the game is back on. Drew Timmy gets a chance, like I said, to, to really kind of cement himself in Gonzaga's lore by helping to defeat UW. That's always a part of the of the lore of the rivalry, so this is a great opportunity. Uh, so let's meet the Huskies. The Huskies are 7-2 and two on the season, which seems a bit more uh, impressive than they have actually been as a, a product on the basketball court. Uh, their two losses are to Cal Baptist, a WAC program that does does boast a very, very solid starting point guard in Taron Armstrong. Uh, there are other losses to Oregon State to kick off Pac-12 conference play. Oregon State is, quite frankly, horrendous. One of the worst uh, Power 5 basketball programs in the country. Not quite the worst in the Pac-12. That goes to Cal, the Golden Bears, who have yet to win a game. Regardless for the Huskies, 7-2 and two is a good record. Losses to Cal Baptist and Oregon State definitely hurt. Granted, they do have a couple of nice wins, including their best win to date, without a doubt, which is over Randy Bennett and the St. Mary's Gales. That was a really nice victory for UW. They deserve some credit for that one. St. Mary's, very, very good program. Keon Brooks from the Kentucky transfer at UW. We'll talk about him more. He was monstrous in that game against St. Mary's. They also have a win over Colorado. Colorado is 
perhaps the most confusing team in all of college basketball wins over Tennessee wins over Texas A&M some really egregious losses on their resume as well I think they're probably a comparable team to UW so this isn't necessarily a huge win for the Huskies but would have been worse had they lost that one their other wins are more in the by game variety they have a win over Fresno State which Fresno State is a solid Mountain West team but hasn't been hasn't looked particularly good this year quite frankly Seattle U again a solid whack program but not a team that typically would beat University of Washington. Their other wins are in Weber State, Utah Tech, and North Florida, who Gonzaga also played. Uh, the Huskies only beat North Florida by eight in that one. Right now, as we're having this conversation, Ken Palm has the Huskies 95th in the country. So they are a top 100 team, just barely, but they are kind of right in that conversation, right in that range. Offensively, Ken Palm has them 166th. Defensively, they are 54th. This is not a surprise for a Mike Hopkins-led squad. UW has been very persistent about continuing to run the zone defense. Mike Hopkins, of course, was the associate head coach, assistant coach at Syracuse for a very long time under coach Jim Beheim before he departed to take this job at UW. So he is kind of imp implementing that philosophy, that defensive strategy. We've seen UW under Hopkins have some really bad years, have some kind of okay seasons. Last year, they weren't too bad. Uh, good enough for Hop to keep his job. They did a, a lot of work, a lot of work in the transfer portal. Two big additions coming from the Pac-12, Frank Kepnack from the University of Oregon and Noah Williams from Washington State. But again, the biggest addition for the Huskies this year, absolutely, Keon Brooks out of Kentucky. Brooks is averaging 16.6 points per game, seven boards. He's also averaging 1.3 steals and 1.3 blocks. Uh, he does have 3.3 turnovers compared to just one assist per game, so not the most efficient player necessarily, more of a score first forward, 6'7", 210, big, long, uh, athletic guys playing 35 minutes per game for the Huskies, so they are relying very heavily on him. Again, I mentioned the efficiency. He's shooting under 41% from the field and only 21% from deep. The outside shooting isn't really a big part of his game, but regardless, we're talking about a player who has the ball in his hands a lot, plays the vast majority of the game, scores a good amount of points, but isn't really doing a ton else. He's not adding a bunch defensively. He's not distributing the ball particularly well. He's not shooting it all that great. Uh, beyond Brooks, though, the rest of the team, very, very balanced scoring, which does make them a little bit dangerous. Cole Bajema is the only other double-digit score. He's averaging 10.2 points per game. After that, five guys all averaging between 8.3 and 9 points per game. That is remarkable consistency and efficiency from the rest of their role players to all be giving you a pretty steady amount of points on the you know for every single game. But again, the efficiency kind of bleeds out to the rest of the team. It's not just a Keon Brooks issue for this squad. Uh, as a team, the Huskies are only shooting 44% from the field. They're shooting under 33% from deep. Again, they've played some solid teams, but... You know, you, you know, same area is going to make it make it a hard night for you defensively. Uh, but looking at the rest of their schedule for them to only be shooting 33 percent from deep, 44 percent from the field against the caliber of opponent that they have played is concerning and alarming for this squad. They're going to need to find a way to more efficiently put the ball in the hoop if they want to make any noise in the Pac-12. Uh, again, after that, you're, you're talking about a team that 340th. In the country, 340th in the country at 10.3 assists per game. This team does not have a true point guard. They do not distribute the ball particularly well. It is a lot more isolation offense 
we're just not seeing a team that that has a very fluid offensive attack. Again, the Hopkins and the staff got that that zone defense down well, and it looks good this year. And we'll talk about that a bit, but. By and large, it's a team that doesn't have much of an offensive identity. They're struggling to distribute the ball. Uh, they're also not a great rebounding team. That is common with teams that play a lot of zone defense. They're, they struggle on the to crash the defensive glass. Uh, this team is 264th in the country, averaging just over 34 rebounds per game. They do have some size. A lot of times in this space, we kind of talk about teams and how they're going to defend Drew Timmy. We know that Washington is likely going to implement the zone here, so that's not necessarily a factor. But just in terms of big bodies, I mentioned Kepning, the transfer out of Oregon. He is 6'11". He's averaging 9.6.5 boards per game. And then there's Braxton Mia, a transfer out of Fresno State. He is seven foot one, and he has nearly identical number, numbers to Kepning. He is averaging nine points and 6.4 rebounds per game. Also, also worth pointing out for the Washington Huskies, they are seventh in the entire country in blocks per game. So expect a few of Gonzaga shots to get sent back. Uh, but again, that's kind of a product of their zone defense, their help defense, everything that they do on that end of the floor, which is really what I want to talk about here in the second segment. The Zags need to find an answer to Mike Hopkins zone defense, how they attack the zone and what else they need to do to win another one over the Huskies all coming up after this. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's extremely simple to use. Start by adding your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked on Zags. And I want to sincerely thank all of you for making Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked on Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked on can provide. Locked on Sports Today available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, as we have done throughout the season, we are talking five keys to victory for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. These are either keys to a victory specifically, or at least kind of keys, things that I am going to be watching for in the game. I hope uh, as listeners, we could kind of be on the lookout for those things as we watch each of these games, because we try to recap them at the following episode as well. Been having a lot of fun with this, really enjoying getting some specific things to watch for in each and every Gonzaga basketball game. So for today, of course, the biggest storyline anytime you play Washington outside of the rivalry is that zone defense. For the Zags, the biggest thing for them successfully in this game uh, is to attack that soft spot in the zone. I'm curious to see how they are going to do that. Uh, typically, the soft spot in the zone ends up being about a foot or so in from the free throw line, so about 14 feet away from the hoop, right in that spot. It certainly depends on, on how Gonzaga positions their offensive players. But by and large, you stick a player in the middle there. You have one player kind of running the baseline, and then you have your other three wings all spaced out around the perimeter. 
I could see a situation where Gonzaga can be very, very effective in that zone offense, primarily if you put Drew Timmy right in the top of the zone. Put him in the spot where he is most likely to catch the basketball. That is a tough spot to defend, and if you can get Drew Timmy the basketball 13 feet away from the rim, that is really tough to stop. UW will almost certainly collapse, 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 put a ton of pressure on him, make him kick that ball out to shooters, but they should be open in theory on the on the wing if if UW's guards are collapsing in on Drew Timmy when he gets the ball. He's been making great reads this year. We've talked about some turnover issues for Drew, and I'm sure there will be a handful of them in this game, but by and large, his assist numbers are way up. He's got the ball in his hands a lot more, so of course we're going to see a few more turnovers, a few more assists, but I think he has the ability to really carve up a zone defense if Gonzaga can Early and often, I'm saying as soon as we cross half court, as soon as UW starts to get in their zone, if Drew Timmy is open, get him the ball immediately. All we've seen from Gonzaga this season is struggles trying to get the basketball to Drew Timmy. A zone could, in theory, open up more easily accessible ways to get Drew Timmy the basketball. If that is the case, if that is open and available to Gonzaga every time, every single time, put the ball in Drew's hands, let him go to work. UW is likely going to, like I said, collapse, force Gonzaga's outside shooters to shoot. If Rasir Bolton, Julian Strother, Nolan Hickman get wide open looks from three, take them, take them, take them, make you dub, make them get those offensive rebounds and that kind of, or those defensive rebounds, I should say. And that leads into the next point, which is critical when you play zone defenses. You've got to crash the glass. You have to crash the offensive glass. Drew Timmy made a killing against Kent State in the second half by just crashing the offensive glass. He had seven offensive rebounds in that game critical part of his success against Kent State was getting those offensive rebounds, getting second chance opportunities. Boxing out and rebounding out of a zone defense is hard. Even teams as disciplined as patients who practice it as much as as Washington, even teams with two seven-foot guys who play really regular, consistent minutes, that's rare in college basketball. And, And UW has that, and they're still not even a top 250 team in rebounding so far this season. Think about that. They have power five caliber athletes. They have dudes with that level of size, and they're still not a good rebounding team. Gonzaga can make a killing just cleaning up on the glass. I say give Drew Timmy the ball. If you get an open kick out for an open three, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, because Anton Watson, Drew Timmy, Julian Strother, et cetera, crash in the glass. Make UW beat you. The only way UW can really beat you out of this is if they not only effectively rebound, but they also get out in transition. That's not really a big part of UW's game. If they start to do that, then yes, maybe you have to back off, not be as aggressive trying to go for the offensive rebounds. But until they prove they can do that, I would take every shot they give me, get as many open looks as you possibly can, and then just try to crash as many offensive rebounds as possible. I think that's going to make things really hard on the Huskies and should lead to a Gonzaga victory. I do think that there's a possibility for more small ball lineups here as well. Of course, against the zone defense, it makes sense to have more shooters on the floor. So lineups where Julian Strother is playing the four, Malachi Smith is in the game, Anton Watson is on the bench, or Drew Timmy's on the bench, one of those two guys. I think those lineups make some sense as long as Gonzaga feels confident they can still rebound well in that situation because that just more floor spacing, more outside shooting obviously stretches his own defense in ways that that would be beneficial for the Zags. Next up, kind of touched on this already, and I've touched on it the last couple of episodes. It remains a stagnant point for Gonzaga, and that is getting out in transition. I, I think for the best way to beat a zone is to not let the team get set up in a zone. That's a really easy way to do that is if you can get out in transition and force them to have to either really hurry to get into the zone or they have to step into a man defense in order to defend you, that creates 
confusion. It creates a, a difficult situation for the defense. Uh, for Gonzaga, we haven't seen as much of the transition offense this year as we did last year. There are some fairly obvious reasons for that. Andrew Nembhard was one of the greatest transition point guards that Gonzaga has ever had. He was really, really good at getting the basketball from outlet passes and going and going and going and making the right read, knowing when to pull it back, knowing when to keep pushing and trying to get transition buckets that way. Teams have also figured out that it's easier to stop Gonzaga if you just let them clean up the defensive glass and they just get back in transition. Just get back, get back, get back. Don't let Gonzaga get out. We'll see if UW does something similar and kind of takes themselves out of a lot of offensive rebounding opportunities uh, in order to play more aggressive defense and kind of getting back and not letting Gonzaga get out in transition. But again, it's a really easy way to build up a lead to get yourself some easy points. If you have the ability to get that rebound turn and go and try to get out and, and especially at home, it's always fun to get out in transition at home because the crowd goes crazy. Uh, it's a very exciting moment can swing some momentum. So hopefully we'll see some more of that transition offense for the Zags in this one. A couple more things. Uh, the Zags are going to need a big defensive effort from Anton Watson. I, you know, every game, his defense is a, is a critical part of what they do. He's played fantastic defense all season long. He's played good defense on Mate Sissoko from Michigan State. Good defense, of course, against Oscar Shibwe at Kentucky. He played decent defense against Zach Eady, although Zach Eady really did some work against the Zags. But he's your national player of the year front runner right now. So that is the kind of thing that's going to happen. But here against Brooks, Brooks 6'7", 210 pounds. He kind of plays the power forward position in a way for UW. He, he's, he's the second tallest player on the floor, uh, at least in their starting lineup. And I think that Watson is going to draw that assignment because even though Brooks does play a little bit more away from the rim, Anton's perimeter defense is fantastic. And while I think Hunter Salas is probably the best clamps lockdown defensive player on this roster, I think he's he's going to be used differently defensively. I don't think they're going to put him on Keon Brooks just because of the size difference. Salas is going to be used to handle Jamal Bay and Cole Bajema and the other guards for UW. And he's going to do fantastic at it because he does every single time he's asked to play hard perimeter defense. But I think Watson's going to be a big hinge in this game not just offensively not just from a crashing the glass perspective but from a, a defensive perspective that again this isn't a team that distributes the ball all that well they don't do a lot of passing they don't do a lot of you know motion offense all that stuff it's it's a bit more iso ball it's a bit more kind of just get the ball to somebody who can score and let them score and for the zags if anton watson can lock down keon brooks and let him have an inefficient night if he he might score 18 he might score 20 but if it's on like Seven of 19 shooting, the Zags are going to take that. And that's a pretty realistic possibility for this game, considering what UW has done throughout the season and considering how good Anton Watson has been and continues to be on the defensive end of the floor. And finally, the last key for this game, a bounce back performance from Rasir Bolton. He has had a rough couple of games for the Zags. In the last two games against Baylor and Kent State, he totaled seven points and totaled seven turnovers in those two games. That was while playing 24 and 26 minutes. So averaging 25 minutes a night in the last two games, only seven points, seven turnovers. And he's been shooting it well. It's not an issue of him missing a whole bunch of shots and kind of like disrupting the offense. He had six turnovers against Baylor. That was a really challenging game for Rasir. Probably the toughest game he's had in a Gonzaga uniform. And again, his bounce back against Kent State, he I think he went like two of three from the field. So he made some shots, but just wasn't really all that involved in the offense was pretty quiet. We didn't really see him get out in transition very much. We didn't see him, you know, be aggressive looking for his shot. He was just kind of tentative. This is not who Rasir Bolton was last year. I don't know if there's some issues kind of finding his role this year, just because of how much has changed on the roster. If it's just 
a couple of games where he just didn't get a lot of looks like it might not be anything too serious to look into. But for the Zags, like against his own defense, you need your shooters. You need your guys who can just straight up knock down open threes because Rasir Bolton is going to get open looks against his own defense. You get open three point looks. Basically, the point of his own is to make teams force teams to beat you by hitting outside shots. Gonzaga can do that. They they haven't been consistent about it this year, but they can do that. Rasir Bolden is a big, huge part of that equation. If Rasir comes out and hits three threes in the first six minutes of this game, that is unbelievably demoralizing and challenging for UW. Do they stick in the zone? Do they go to a man defense, which they're less comfortable, less familiar with? How do you continue to handle that? So for Bolton, getting out in, getting out in transition is huge. Hitting those open shots is huge. Also, you know, getting opportunities to drive into the zone, forcing the zone to collapse on you, kicking it out or finishing through contact, getting the free throw line, all that stuff, all these skills that we know conclusively Rasir Bolton has in his bag is capable of doing seeing those in this game would be a huge boost, not just for him going forward, but it's going to be really likely to help lead Gonzaga to a victory in this one. All right, we're going to come back in the third and final segment. Lisa Fortier and the Gonzaga women's team have one more non-conference game. And after getting smacked around by Stanford, we discuss realistic goals and outcomes for the squad ahead of WCC action. But before we do that, let's talk about bet online. College basketball and the NBA are back in action, and college football and the NFL remain in the thick of their seasons. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information from all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, segment three, Stoney Patton still locked on Zag, switching over to talk about the Gonzaga women's basketball program as they approach the end of their non-conference season and start getting ready for conference play in the WCC. Right now, the ladies' Ags are 8-2. and two. Uh, They had a, a recent loss to Stanford. They also had a victory over Queens. Uh, the last couple of games that they've had, they're the 22nd-ranked team in the country as of right now. Stanford, again, who they lost to, number two-ranked team in the country, is fantastic. The Gonzaga gets an opportunity basically every single year to play Stanford in the non-conference schedule, a really tough game every single year a good test for 48 in the squad uh, typically they keep it very close historically they have played the stanford team really close every single year this year though stanford is a different beast and they looked really really good won this one by 21 points it is worth pointing out that the gonzaga squad was without eliza hollingsworth and kaylee trung both those players were not playing hollingsworth averages 10 and a half points and 5.6 rebounds while kaylee averages 9.4 points and 4.6 assists not 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 a good group of players to not have for a game against the second best team in the entire country. It showed up a little bit in the box score there, but you do have to take that result with a bit of a grain of salt. Do the Zags win with those two players? Not necessarily, but I can guarantee you it's probably not a 20-point loss in that circumstance. 
Right now, the women's team has those two losses, the loss to Stanford and a loss to Marquette in the Bahamas. The Marquette loss doesn't sting so bad because it was sandwiched by a win over then number six ranked Louisville. And then after the loss to Marquette, they got a chance to play then number 23 ranked Tennessee, and they won both of those games. Two huge, huge victories for the ladies' Ags to be to beat two teams who were ranked at the time of those victories. Uh, other than that, they have a postponed game against Eastern Washington due to COVID-19 that they have yet to make up, and their final non-conference game is scheduled for the 11th of December against UC Davis. So that's kind of where the women's team is at right now with a non-conference schedule. I wanted to talk a little bit about their performance against Queens. Uh, notably, the performance of Vani Ejim. She was fantastic. She was the sixth woman of the year last year. Knew that she was going to step into a bigger role this year with Melody Kempton graduating. We have seen that from her so far, and it was really on display in this game against Queens. She had 32 points. That is a career high, as you would typically expect from most college basketball players. 32.7 boards, 13 of 17 shooting, a extremely efficient game for Vani. Six of eight from the free throw line on the season through 10 games. She's averaging 17.7 points, 7.8 rebounds, 1.9 steals. She's shooting just under 55% from the field and just under 80% from the free throw line. She has been as advertised, if not better, than advertised for the Zags this year, and she is going to be a monster come conference play, very likely or at least a strong candidate to be the WCC player of the year or at least a WCC first team player. I want to talk a little bit about the conference. Uh, historically, BYU has been the team to beat in the WCC outside of Gonzaga. It always comes down to those two programs. Uh, lately, we have seen the University of Portland Pilots. They are not just having success on the men's side under Coach Shante Leggins. They have been having success on the women's side as well. They should have made the NCAA tournament in 2020. And I say should have as in not that they got snubbed, as in they won the WCC tournament, but unfortunately the NCAA tournament was canceled because of COVID. Really devastating for the University of Portland women's program to not get the actual opportunity to participate in the tournament when they know for a fact that they had earned it. That is frustrating for them. Uh, however, Neither BYU or Portland look all of that good to start the season. It's been a bit of an odd year for the WCC on the women's side so far. BYU was only five and four. In fact, they began the season one and four. They started the year out one and four before rattling off four wins in a row. They have losses to Colorado State. They have an ugly loss to Montana State, an equally ugly loss to Ball State, and Troy is in that mix as well. Uh, they did lose to Oklahoma, which they were number 16 at the time, so you can kind of forgive that loss as well. But it's been a rough start for BYU in their final season in the WCC, and they no longer look necessarily like a team that's going to compete super aggressively with Gonzaga for a, a chance at a WCC title. And then the Portland Pilots also five and four. They also played Stanford. And we kind of talked about how Gonzaga was not at full strength in their 21 point loss to Stanford. Well, UP lost by 40. They got their absolute bell rung by the Stanford Cardinal in that one. They also have a two point loss to San Diego state. They have a loss to UC San Diego and a 39 point loss to Oregon. They have played two PAC 12 programs this year. And admittedly the PAC 12 for women's basketball is very dominant and Oregon and Stanford are two of the best programs over the last decade or so, but two 40 point losses to Stanford and Oregon rough start for the Portland pilots. Again, not, not, thinking that they're necessarily going to be as big of a player at the top end of the WCC conference as perhaps we had thought going into the season. 
that makes it a little bit more interesting, a little bit more wide open for competition with Gonzaga. Gonzaga is the cream of the crop right now. That was kind of the expectation coming into the year. That is has been more further solidified by their performance so far this season and the performance of the other teams in the conference. One other team that I would mention here is the San Francisco Dons. They are seven and two on the year. Uh, they have a, a pretty ugly loss to USC. I think they lost by about 25 points, but again, Pac-12, very, very good basketball conference for on the women's side. They also have a loss to the Washington State. They don't have a ton of great wins. They did beat San Diego State. They beat Northridge, Long Beach, and Troy, a team that BYU lost to in that circumstance. So USF's a team to keep an eye on, a team that could potentially finish second in the WCC, maybe do some damage against the Zags during regular season games. But by and large, the WCC belongs to the women's program. Like they, they are in a great spot to win the WCC. And, and if they do, I don't know that they're going to go undefeated throughout conference play. That's a pretty tough ask to, to finish the year with just two losses would be remarkable. But let's say this could very easily be a four or five loss team coming into the March Madness. And at that point, you have to start to wonder, like this team could legitimately be in the conversation for three seed, four seed, five seed. Like they're going to be, they're, they're ranked 22nd right now, assuming they lose very few games going forward for the rest of the year, they should remain in the 15 to 20, 25 maybe range. And once you get into March Madness at that point, I think they could be a four or a five seed. I think there's a chance. There's a, there's a realistic chance they get as high as a three seed. And at that point, like it's anybody's, it's anybody's game. If they're healthy, if they're playing well coming into the March Madness and they get themselves a seed in that range, this could be a team that's, you know, not even just a sweet 16 team. We're talking elite eight. We're talking at that, at that point, once you get to elite eight, you just got to win a couple more games. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden the conversation around your program changes very, very dramatically. So I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about where this women's team is. I'm, I'm down on the rest of the WCC. And unfortunately that could come back and be a bit harmful for the women's program in general, just not playing a super high level of competition. But I think that this is, this women's team has a chance to do some real damage this year. And I'm excited to see how the rest of the year shakes out for them going forward. All right, that is going to do it for me today. More coming on Friday's episode. Of course, don't forget to check out the new Locked On College Basketball podcast with myself and co-host Isaac Shade, giving you all the news around college basketball five times per week, available wherever you get your podcasts, available on YouTube as well. So go hit that big red subscribe button if you haven't done so yet. Finally, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.